Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. The mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. This is Jordan Rich, and my guest today is Dr. Marianne Brandon, a clinical psychologist and diplomat in sex therapy. She works with individuals and couples. Our topic today, sex and intimacy after prostate cancer. First up, sex therapy is helpful for so many, but we're specifically looking at the impact of prostate surgery on a man's sex life and how that might be different. When people have particular uh, issues relating to their body, of course, that becomes front and center oftentimes in terms of how we're processing, what we're processing, you know, and our focus in general. Okay. So often men come after the surgery and they're really in shock. Men and their partner are really in shock because they were unprepared. They weren't given enough information. And even if they were, they're reeling from the cancer diagnosis. So they're not really processing all that they're hearing anyway. So as they start to recover and they realize, you know, the implications of their surgeries, that's often when I see people in my office. What would be some of those things that you'd love to tell them before the surgery in general terms and share with patients? So I would say there is so much more to intimacy than intercourse. And our intimate lives involve our emotional connection and touch, and none of that will be taken from them. And in fact, it is really true that traumas of all kinds can bring us closer together. That's, that's true. It's really how we approach situations, stress in our lives. Stress closes us. The surgery is stressful. The cancer diagnosis is stressful. What does that mean? You know, we tighten when we're stressed. We shut down emotionally. We withdraw and isolate. Now, if it's possible to approach this stress from a different perspective and let it um, open and, as opposed to close us, that will enable people to literally get closer, regardless of what's going on in the bedroom. You know, an example I often give my clients is if you think of getting a tough piece of meat from the grocery store and, you know, getting a meat, uh, a hammer, and to tenderize that meat, you stress it. And ultimately, the, the meat becomes tender. If it's possible to let life stress do that to us, we then are in um, an even better place to, to connect and be intimate. So for a lot of men, it's a reawakening to what's possible in terms of intimacy? I think that's a lovely way to put it, very true. So we tend to think very concretely that intimacy is about intercourse and it's about orgasm. And oftentimes people don't stop to think about the possibilities. So in situations like this, people are really invited to consider how else they can connect and maintain an intimate relationship. What do you notice from people who are going through stressful times? Obviously, it affects their sex life, but it can affect other aspects. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the first reaction I have to that question is mood. So our moods can respond to, obviously, any, any stress or issue going on in our lives, but we don't always notice it when it's happening within us. So we might kind of like withdraw, like, 
we talked about a moment ago, but not really see ourselves from another person's perspective. So depression can show up kind of insidiously or in a way, as I'm saying, that we don't recognize. It could be um, just lower energy, just less motivation, um, just generally not enjoying things that used to be pleasurable. As that takes over, that then affects all aspects of how we experience the world, how we interact. So I would say that I would encourage people to just be conscious of the impact of their treatment on their mood and maybe talk to their partner about what their partner might notice about that. Because if their mood is lower, which wouldn't be a surprise, there's treatment for that, there's help for that. And as people sort of get their mood back to baseline, everything else feels a little less overwhelming. And of course, we can't forget age. That's a huge factor in general, whether someone is ill or not, or has gone through surgery or not, right, doctor? Absolutely. So in terms of age and its impact on people's sex lives, there's a very direct correlation. As our bodies age, you know, they change and that happens to genitals as well. So people don't necessarily realize that as they age, their bodies aren't going to function the way they're used to anyway. Even in the best case scenario, folks are struggling with their sex lives. That's just really true. So, you know, we know that 20% of couples are in sexless marriages um, and about 40% of women at any one time will report a sexual concern or dysfunction and about 30% of men at any one time will report a sexual concern or dysfunction. That's a lot of people. So there's this myth that everyone else is having great sex. We sort of see people on social media appearing to have these incredible intimate relationships, but that is truly a myth. So in the best case scenario, folks struggle. So then when stressors like surgery is added to that, that increases the challenge for a couple. But of course, it's not impossible to work through all that. I think it's just helpful for people to realize that like you're saying, aging changes the body and just normal life, just living um, can have an impact on people's willingness, let's say, to connect. Communication is always good, no matter what the situation. It's particularly important, isn't it, in terms of intimate relationships, I'm guessing? It really is, and it's difficult. It's difficult for people to communicate about sex. Sex is when we're most vulnerable, we're exposed. People are super sensitive to hurting their partner or saying something that's going to embarrass themselves. So all of that combines into a tricky soup, and it's hard to talk about these kinds of issues. But so important, particularly after treatment and surgery, to discuss how, how you're feeling, um, what you're wanting, how, how you feel uh, you're able to connect, what you need from your partner, all of that. I encourage people to think about communication not as a one conversation, but as an ongoing dialogue throughout their relationship um, to talk about sex regularly, um, not to expect to have one conversation and solve it. Let's talk about the other person in the relationship, obviously so critical. What advice do you have for the mate of a man who's been through this process? Mm -hmm. So mates are often quite concerned about, for example, having a conversation with their partner because they don't want to upset their partner. Um, They're confused as to how to be most helpful. And so what I would say to them is they're not alone. um, And Uh, their gentle and tender approach um, is going to be essential and so helpful to their partner, as opposed to kind of withdrawing and giving their partner space. So that's often what people think 
is the right thing to do. Just sort of step back, don't talk about it, give them space. And maybe for some men initially that's the right response, but ultimately um, what can happen is people then aren't discussing what needs to be talked about and they just sort of like drift apart a bit. So opening your heart and opening up the conversation, saying something just really basic, you know, honey, I, I love you. We haven't talked much lately. I want to check in with you and see how things are feeling to you. How's our relationship feeling to you? Something like that, just kind of very broad, um, can be a way to initiate that conversation. Um, if your heart is open, chances are that's going to facilitate your connection. And what are the chances, doctor, that that gets easier when you take the first step? If you notice oh, that. I like that question. So does it get easier when you start talking? I would say very much, as long as your heart is open. What can go wrong for people is they wait till they're stressed or upset to start having a difficult conversation. Then it doesn't get easier over time. Then it sort of like gains in um, um, tension. It creates more tension. But if they can initiate the conversation when they're feeling loving, that tends to facilitate easier conversation over time. There's one interesting medical statistic that men who've gone through prostate surgery can achieve orgasm without an erection. A man might think that's impossible. From a biological point of view, uh, it does work. It does work. That's right. And it does surprise people. You can have an orgasm without an erection. Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, it's a new beginning. So I think some men would uh, say that it has changed their intimate relationship in a very positive way. Not all men would agree with that, right. but it really depends on how you approach the stressors. So um, for example, what I encourage couples to do uh, when they're reconnecting intimately is be prepared for what they consider to be the worst case scenario. Maybe they don't get an erection or their erection fails them or some other issue that is their worst case scenario and have a conversation with their partner about that. So how would they like to approach that issue, assuming it's going to happen? Because if they can solve the problem with their partner about the worst case scenario, that alleviates so much anxiety and allows a man and his partner to really kind of get more involved in the experience without having to worry about what's going to happen next. Because what happens so often is people do have a worst case scenario in their minds. If something even close to that occurs, people shut down, they pull away, they walk away from each other. And that just creates more distance. So if they are prepared for that and have a conversation about that, they can stay connected through even this worst case scenario. So often when couples struggle sexually for any reason, they not only stop having sex, but they stop touching altogether. And that to me is the saddest part of this because we all need touch. It's not just infants or elderly people that need touch, everybody does. And you know, our partner is our primary place to get touch. We can hug friends and all of that, but real intimate touch, um, is something that we do with our partner. So I would urge everyone to be very conscious of still holding hands, sitting next to each other on the couch, putting your arm around each other, you know, rubbing shoulders or what have you. All of that touch is so vitally important for our own mental health. So I would say, don't stop touching. Take, you know, your intimate relationship step-by-step step as you need to, but remain, remain touching. Continue to have that physical contact. Thank you to Dr. Marion Brandon. 
We invite you to stay tuned to future podcasts featuring valuable information and resources, the latest in research and treatment, and stories of real people who have challenged prostate cancer and won. Please visit masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can subscribe and download these podcasts at Apple Podcast, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also available for Android. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.